Welcome to Good Morning Hospitality, your one-stop shop for the latest news, noteworthy trends, and thought-provoking discussions across the industry. From hotels to short-term rentals to all things travel and hospitality, you'll find each episode equips you with the information that you need to start your week. Join us on Good Morning Hospitality every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, you know, every time I see that intro, I get, I just am so excited because it's so, it was so great how our footage just worked so well together. Listen, we had a great team put those together for us, but I'm happy to be back. I missed you last week. I missed you too. Happy belated Thanksgiving, uh, whether you celebrated or not, by the way, for everybody that's tuning in, hopefully uh, you did have a moment to just be uh, mindful and grateful for what he a year it's been and had time to to spend time with your family and just kind of unplug a bit. No, for sure. Nice. I definitely did. I got to spend time with my family. The entire yeah. family was together. Oh my Multiple God. generations. That's Love seeing fun. it. You know, it's a lot of fun doing it that That's way. That's fun. I know. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. Um, purposely was offline quite a bit as well too, which is hard because I basically sleep with my phone next to me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, don't tell everybody that. Uh, but uh, so that being said, we have a very exciting show today. We decided yes, to take off last week and come back with a bang. Um, for people that are joining us live, quickly let us know where you're joining us from. Obviously, I'm back here in Los Angeles, back on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. You were traveling a lot. <laughs> Was traveling a lot. We got Steve holding it up in Miami. Um and today's special guest, uh, you know, by the way, we don't have a lot of guests on this show. Mm -hmm. We they, we don't we don't kind of open it up. But um, this was just kind of a, a perfect option or a perfect uh, guest for us. And uh, he's got a lot of insights. It's true. Yeah. I, it, uh, I think you should say who it is. We should bring him out. Oh, you, okay, fine. Am I drawing Let's it out it. too much? I think okay, we should perfect. do it because I'm excited to speak to him. I know we got limited time with him. He is a busy totally. person. So bring 100%. him out, Sarah. Who do we got? Okay, today? fine. So uh, for today's guest, we have Chip Rogers, who is the president and CEO, CEO of AHLA. And uh, come on, Chip, let's get you on here. Wow. 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 So as, as you guys were describing who your guest was, I'm like, did they invite somebody other than me? Like, this, is like, <laughs> this sounds so interesting. Who could this possibly what? be? What? And I love that we have upped our game. We now have sound effects. We do. Coming up. So great job, back of house. Good job, Will, getting some sound effects on there. Wow. So we've got people joining us from all over here. Uh, Miami, Belize, um, Israel, London. near... Yeah, near BWI Airport, Maryland. Whoop, whoop. Um, very nice. Sorry for my sound effects. Uh, caffeine has clearly kicked in over here. Um, so, Chip, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, this is this is. I mean, you obviously have your finger on the pulse of so many things. And what's so great as well too is, uh, you know, with what's going on in the hotel and hospitality industry, breaking down different legislations or things that are trying to be passed and what we need to be mindful of. So um, why, why don't we just kind of start off with like the bigger picture and, and just talk about the state of the industry, what's going on, what do we need to be mindful of? And uh, for those that are tuning in, yeah, what, what can they take away right now? Well, first, great to see both of you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, Thank you. Yes. Thank I, you. I was thinking about like, who are the type of people in life that I don't trust? 
anybody that doesn't like dogs, I got an issue with you. And if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, like what else would you possibly celebrate? Like, like the most American of all holidays outside of Independence Day. But uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving. Oh, I did. Yes. Now, Likewise. Before we get into the serious hard hitting questions, what is your favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal? Because that's Ooh. usually a big key to see who you're you're sitting with. So uh, sweet potatoes with like the cinnamon and stuff on top. I mean, it, or and some people put marshmallows. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it is hard to beat that. Uh, but I like everything at Thanksgiving dinner. So, so it's all good. Yeah. Do we like uh, canned cranberry sauce or the real deal? Well, the real deal is better. But I'll eat either one. I mean, if you put it in front of me and I'm hungry enough, I'll go and eat it. So, so yeah. Same. Same. Well, I think it's perfect that you're here, and I know that you're going to get into it. We're wrapping up the year. Maybe you can do a little bit of what you saw in 2023 that was a big win for the industry and some things we got to work on, and then we can talk about 2024. Yeah, you know, I think we came into 2023 with uh, a lot of optimism. People thought, okay, this is the year we're going to be back. Mm -hmm. uh, a few things happened that probably uh, slowed that down a little bit. So as we, as we close it out, I would say we're awful close. But when you factor in inflation, it's had a significant impact because at the end of the day, occupancy can be great and rev park can be great but if you're not making money you're not making money mm -hmm. and, and hoteliers aren't making money i mean it, the industry's it is feeling much 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 better than it did in recent years um but we're, we're we're just shy of that occupancy number we've seen a flattening of the leisure travel um mm -hmm. the small group travel was back gosh a year and a half ago yep. yeah the, the big group travel is is coming back as you guys know once that goes offline it takes a few years to get back completely online the one that is, of course, of the most concern is your inner city business travel. Now, mm -hmm. what I, I like, always remind people that there's a lot of business travel that happens along the interstate with truckers and traveling people. That, yeah. That, yeah. But the inner city where people are not back in the office five days a week, that's still struggling a little bit. So if we put all that together, mm -hmm. I mean, occupancy is pretty darn close to where we expected it would be. The mix of the type of travelers, probably close to what we thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, even with these ADR gains, though, you're still looking at um, some struggles because inflation, particularly labor inflation, has been probably more than we anticipated. And then depending on what market you're in, it's always a market by market, mm -hmm. depending on totally. what market you're in, you know, it could be it could be a little tougher. I, I laugh at my dear friends in Miami and I know we were just talking about you being in Miami. But they're like, oh, that went down a little bit from last year. I'm like, but down from what? Like, you, yeah. records. Another person in a hotel room in Miami. So, yeah, uh, the market matters for sure. Yeah. So, when, you, when you're seeing these inner city hotels, what can they be doing to get people back? Because it's tough. You see some cities that are really struggling, and some big name cities, and where the people aren't going back to the office. What do you think they could be doing, um, just from what you're seeing? Look, one of the things that we've encouraged elected officials to do um, at the local level is. In, you know, have policies that encourage people to come back into the city. And whether that's tax credits or getting their own city workers back mm -hmm. in the city is helpful. I mean, here in Washington, D.C., the federal government's not even 100 percent back. And we've we've been asking the administration for quite some time, you know, bring these workers back, get mm -hmm. them back into the office at least a portion of the time, because there are so many small businesses beyond hotels that absolutely must have workers back in. I think you're going to see some changes in development. There are a lot of um, policy measures that we're seeing both at the city and the state level that would encourage office buildings to be uh, turned into residential. And, you know, when you get people in, in back inside the city and things start happening, uh, you're, you're going to see a, a lot of activity. And then the last thing is business leaders. I know that if you go back nine months ago, 12 months ago, when you look at that pendulum of, of who really controls the 
the momentum between the employer and the employee. At that time, it was really the employee. They could choose when I'm working, where I'm working. That pendulum swung a little bit back towards the employer. And mm -hmm. a lot of employers say, you know, you were totally remote or you were two days a week. Now we're going three days a week or now we're going four days a week. And we encourage employers to find that right balance, but realize that bringing people back together in a certain space is extremely beneficial. There was an incredible study uh, just put out by the Real Estate Roundtable that showed the difference in productivity of the people that are in the office and those that are not in the office. Now, I know people will say, well, yeah, but they're not going <laughs> to the car and all that stuff. Yeah. And, they're, mm -hmm. and it's not a hard, fast rule. I mean, some people do much better out of the office, yeah. do much better in the office. So I'm not saying that this is un uh, universally true for everybody. But in general, general, productivity is actually better in the office. And I think it's better for the careers of young people as well. And so we encourage business leaders to kind of reevaluate where you are about bringing your people back into the office. Yeah, that's such a great point. Because again, I think so many of us can can kind of just look to it if it's not even in our own household, in the households of those closest to us. And you can see, you know, um, you know, the pros and cons, but there is always a huge benefit for having that office, having that in-person interaction, um, whether it's bouncing ideas off of each other, whether it's just learning to re-engage with people, <laughs> the human aspect. Uh, but it's important. You know, you it got me thinking because I, I feel like I, I read this somewhere. Um, but also this notion of sort of secondary cities are are um, maybe becoming a little bit more popular or on the radar for more of these conferences or business travel. So instead of the places like L.A., New York, Miami, love, love all of them, but maybe cities like Cleveland or Denver, Austin, is that kind of what some of the trends that we have been seeing? Yeah, and I would go even further. I mean, I would throw in there cities like Savannah, Georgia, Asheville, oh. North Carolina. I mean, yeah. these, uh, Jacksonville, Florida has really taken off. <laughs> these are places that you're seeing a lot of activity. One of the things that happened during COVID that, um, well, obviously there's many negative things, things that came out of COVID, <laughs> but some of these states that were overly restrictive, and I think in hindsight, if we're being honest with ourselves, overly restrictive in an unscientific yeah. way, just a reactionary way, mm -hmm. um, they're now paying the price. I mean, when a large conference leaves San Francisco and goes to a place like Miami or goes to a place like, like Austin, Texas, and says, wow, this is fantastic. We didn't realize what a wonderful city this is. They may not go back to San Francisco. They may not go back to that home, home city where they normally have their conference. And so we're seeing some of these secondary cities. Denver just opened up a stunning new convention center, just gorgeous. They're going to reap the benefits of that because they had a mm -hmm. they had policies that were safe but allowed people to come in. And those cities are now really they're they're, they're winning the battle. And those mm -hmm. that were far behind, those who went went in strict lockdown so many times, and and more importantly, and I reminded uh, elected officials about this all the time during the early stages of the pandemic, the worst thing you can do is go back and forth and back and forth because no one could count on that. I mean, mm -hmm. L.A. County, for example, they had a mask mandate. One week it was on, one week it was off. Sarah, you know you're in Los Angeles. You never yeah. even know. Well, yeah. if you're planning an event, you can't plan for that. Like no. you can't nine months out say, I don't know if they're going to have what policies they're going to have. And, and so the reactionary policies hurt locations. Those who said, here's where we are. Here are the safety precautions we're taking. They're really reaping the benefits now. And you yeah. mentioned people getting back to the office and hotels are starting to hire more and more. We're starting to see that trend that people are coming back to working in hotels, but it's still mm -hmm. short of where it was. How are you seeing hotels get people back in? Do you see any best practices you're sharing with hotels to try and get these top employees back to the, the jobs they left? Yeah, well, 
money, first of all, <laughs> always, yeah. money always talks. Uh, <laughs> wages are up higher than they've ever been. I mean, if you were, if you're working at a hotel or, or looking to start at a hotel today, that wage, that starting wage is higher than it's ever been in history. So that helps. Flexibility is enormous. And technology has allowed us to do that. I think if there is a silver lining, and there's a few silver linings out of COVID, it's that we learned how to do more with less. And mm-hmm. hoteliers figured out, wait a minute, I don't necessarily have to have every room clean between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m., which is the standard shift for a housekeeper. All I need to do is have the room clean before the next guest checks in. That's when. It, and so if you realize that you can use technology to meet employees where they want to be, which is, hey, maybe I only want to work Tuesdays and Fridays from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. That that's now more commonplace than it used to be. The standard shift is gone. Second thing, of course, is, is instant pay. I mean, we live in an instant pay world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can, I can go on an app right now and, and send Sarah a thousand dollars. I'm not going to. Let's do it. Man. And people expect that. That's how normal life is now. And so instant yeah. pay has certainly helped. But even things like transportation benefits, because in many inner cities, so expensive to live in the city, totally. getting those transportation benefits, free meals, discounts on travel. There's mm-hmm. a lot that hoteliers learned over the last two and a half years that will be applied moving forward on a more permanent basis. Yeah, that's actually a great point because I remember, uh, you know, even just working in Beverly Hills and looking at different hotels that I was considering working at, and I'm talking about at least 15 years ago or so, so for perspective as far as timeline, but there would be properties that, you know, they were like, oh, well, we'll hire you, but you're going to have to pay $200 a month for parking. And I was like, but they off, What? I have to pay to park to go to work in a city that you need a car to get around. So, I mean, it can be very much a deterrent uh, and, and challenging for those, especially when it, it can cost so much. And if they feel like they're not making enough to make ends meet, that additional cost for transportation or parking can make a huge difference. Sarah, did you say 15 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> she was only yeah. 15 when she was working there. I was she was say, underage. That a violation of child labor laws at that point? <laughs> That's funny. No, I worked in hotels for 18 years. Um, I started when I was 12. No, I'm kidding. But um, a little bit after that, actually started in DC. But, uh, but yeah, no, these are these are all valid points. So let's why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on with Los Angeles. I know people want to hear a little bit about what's going on with the homelessness issue here. uh, And then also New Jersey. Sure. Um. (laughs) Los Angeles. Uh, boy, we spend a lot of time and money on Los Angeles. I, we can take a breath. We know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know like what people are thinking when they go in the ballot box in Los Angeles and, and choose who their elected leaders are. But they're not thinking like most rational people around the rest of the country. Yeah. Uh, they come up with some of the most ridiculous uh, public policy ideas that, that I've ever seen. And one of the challenges you face in California, which, you know, look, we have 50 states. I don't suspect we're moving past that anytime soon. But mm-hmm. if a new state were to be created, I would I would tell them this. Do not create easy, easy access to ballot measures. And what I mean by that is if, if anybody can just go out and gather signatures and put any crazy thing on the ballot, mm-hmm. I think you take away from really how government should work. Because these are not easy questions. And, and policy questions should not be answered on a bumper sticker or on a 30-second ad. Mm-hmm. They should be thought about. All sides should be heard. They should be researched. You should understand what you're about to do and the potential impact of it. And then you make a decision. When you, in California, because it's so easy to put any question on the ballot, when you just gather signatures and throw something on the ballot, 
that's just people who are many times not because of their own fault, but they're uninformed about all the potential impact of these type of things. So yeah. that takes us to, to Los Angeles. Unite Here was able to gather enough signatures and put on the ballot this mm-hmm. idea of putting homeless in hotels next to paying guests. Mm-hmm. Now, most people look at that and say, you got to be kidding. Like, that's not really happening. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, it is happening. Now, we, we think they're going to pull it off the ballot. Uh, there was some uh, activity in the L.A. City Council just last night that we think will be beneficial and get Unite Here to pull that off the ballot. But look, we polled it. We asked mm-hmm. housekeepers, what do you think? They're like, we do not want this. We asked guests, what do you think? They're like, we don't want this. We asked people, we polled people across the country who were thinking about coming to Los Angeles and said, look, if they pass this measure and there are homeless mm-hmm. people in the hotel next to you, in the hotel room next to you, are you going to come to Los Angeles? 75% said no. So this would be incredibly devastating. And that's what I mean by the ballot measure mentality. Mm-hmm. We can all look at homelessness in LA and say it's a serious problem. No yeah. question about it. No question. But this is not a serious solution. And so you got to think about these mm-hmm. things. And that's why it's important for all of us to be involved. Because whether it's homeless in hotels in Los Angeles or any other public policy uh, prescription, you know, we need to be able to tell elected officials, hey, I'm in the hotel industry. This is what's going to happen if you do this, whether it's good or bad, and be able to influence their decision in an informed way. Because lawmakers, they want to be informed, but oftentimes they're just not. So I I heard on another interview you did that you're saying, Mm -hmm. look, if we want to deal with homelessness... Why don't we look at the residential units that are being flipped into commercial units illegally? Is that something that you can touch on for us and maybe expand a little bit on that idea? Yeah, look, because of technology, our lives are, are so much better. We have so many more options. And, and, and lodging, of course, is that same way. But if you think about how you design neighborhoods, how you design communities, mm-hmm. how do you design cities, you know, you say, OK, in this area, we're going to have industrial. In this area, we're going to have. Uh, you know, residential housing over here is going to be kind of the, the bar restaurant district. And you look at that in a way that that people's lives are impacted in a positive way, not a negative way. Mm-hmm. When you turn residential properties into commercial properties, which are not their intended use, by definition, you're going to impact the residents that live around that. And so that's what we've mm-hmm. seen everywhere. Now, the obvious impact is if I'm living in a condo building and the the, the room next door to me now all of a sudden is just a, a a party house. I don't have a neighbor. I've got new people coming in and out every single day. That is mm-hmm. a nightmare for me. Yeah. But the less obvious thing is, is that because I don't have a neighbor, that means somebody who could have moved in to be my neighbor doesn't have a place to live. And so mm-hmm. when developments are made for residential purposes and they're flipped into commercial activity, you're taking away from the housing stock mm-hmm. and that leads to higher prices. There's less supply mm-hmm. for greater demand and you have higher prices and we're pricing people out of local markets. That's why in so many of our cities, it's not just hotels, it's law enforcement, it's fire mm-hmm. and public safety, it's teachers who can't afford to live near their job mm-hmm. because all the residential units are being flipped into commercial properties. Yeah, great point. And we oh, saw so that change in New York. Have, yeah. you, have you heard from the hotels that they're seeing a difference? Absolutely seeing a difference in New York, absolutely seeing a difference in the communities mm-hmm. in New York as well. In fact, I just spent some time with a gentleman uh, who lives in Hell's Kitchen, and he kind of runs like a community activist area there in Hell's Kitchen. And he was talking about that. Look, they were in a situation where, think about it this way. I mean, in New York, you got a lot of rules. Like, when do I put out the trash? Where can I walk my dog? What mm-hmm. time do, you know, do I need to be quiet? Where can I park? And if you're not living there in that residential neighborhood, you're just there to for, for two days to do, you know, to party. 
You don't yeah. know any of that. And you're impacting all those neighbors. And so this new law in New York, which we think is, is quite reasonable, that says, look, there are places in the city where you can do short-term rentals, but you got to register, you got to comply with the law, and you can't have an impact on the neighbors. That's yeah. very reasonable. Well, that is now in, into effect, and the number of illegal units has been dropped uh, dramatically. And it's improving neighborhoods. It's improving the lives of those people. There are places to stay in New York if you want to go visit New York. I visit there all the time. Staying in a residential neighborhood at a party house is not fair to the people that live next door. So true. That, I mean, you you are hit the nail on the head there. What's going on with New Jersey, by the way? All right. So New Jersey, um, while not exactly the beacon of great public policy making, is slightly better than Los Angeles. <laughs> um, there is a proposal there that strikes at the heart of the franchise model. Mm-hmm. And um, look, at AHLA, our membership includes owners, thousands and thousands of owners, brands, management companies, folks who serve the industry by selling goods and services. <clears throat> so there's, we essentially represent all of them. When they have a disagreement, we don't want to get in the middle. We are definitely Switzerland in that respect. Like mm-hmm. owner is disagreeing the brand. That's fine. We're not going to, we're not going to get involved in that. But when policymakers look to change a model that has been incredibly successful for everyone, the franchise model, and they look to change it in a very uh, negative derogatory way, we do step in. Um, and so if you think about a relationship between a franchisee and a franchisor, that's a, con- a contractual relationship. Mm-hmm. There's always areas to negotiate. There's always areas of discussion. But we believe those discussions are better held between the two parties. Inviting the government to step into your private business interactions has never resulted in something good. I've never heard someone say, hey, you know what? I was having a problem with somebody I do business with, and I asked the government to step in and make a law, and everything got better. Like, that doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because once you let them in the door, it's not like they're going to turn around and leave. And so in New Jersey, there's a proposal that does a lot of ill-thought-out things. Uh, Let me give you a perfect example. One of the things it says, and this is one of probably a dozen bad ideas, one of the things it says is that if you have a hotel in it with a certain brand, you have a protection area. And we we certainly recognize that. And that's part of franchising. Like if mm-hmm. I have a Hilton Garden Inn, uh, I don't want them building another Hilton Garden Inn in, in, within a certain area. That's, that's understandable. Yeah. But under this law, it says that any hotel built by that same brand cannot be built unless that owner of the Hilton Garden Inn or that owner of that franchise gives the authority. So that means if your franchise protected area is three miles and somebody wanted to build a Waldorf Astoria, which is not going to compete with your Hilton Garden Inn, three miles away, you would have the ability to say, nope, I don't want to allow them to build that hotel. Oh, yeah, wow. That's one of a really like a dozen bad ideas in this bill. And so, um, again, parties to a contract should sit down and work out their differences. Going to the government to pass a law that impacts every brand and every hotel that's part of a brand in a given state mm-hmm. is not good public policy. And by the way, it affects only hotels. It doesn't talk about other franchise uh, businesses. And we just have a general philosophy that going specifically after the hotel industry is something we're going to fight against every time. We don't want to be singled out. We shouldn't be singled out. Our businesses and our franchises should not be treated differently than other franchises. Yeah. That Wow. had no idea that all of that was going on. This is... Uh... I mean, it's, it's crazy. And again, it, it comes down to common sense. 
not that common right exactly. no, what, that yeah common. we all know it's not that common um no just want to be mindful of time here i know that there we were talking about this prior to coming on the live more than just talking about uh the dolphins uh but we <laughs> the federal joint employer rule what's going on with this can you break it down for everybody because this is sort of like a new sort of hot topic that people really need to be mindful of yeah, thanks for asking that, Sarah. This is probably the biggest challenge from a legislative standpoint or a policy standpoint that we've seen in quite some time. Historically, this goes back to the end of the Obama administration. They attempted to do this. It didn't happen. Uh, the Trump administration uh, did not support this policy, but it, but it's back now. And The best way I can describe this, uh, and it's, it gets kind of intricate. We're talking about the Department of Labor. We're talking about a, a title joint employer. What does that even mean? Mm -hmm. it's, it's simple in this theory. What the proposed policy or the, the rule that has now been released, and we're, gonna, we're fighting it in court, what it essentially says is that the, the employee of the franchisee is jointly employed by the franchisor. So I want you to think about that for a second. And we think about like how we make policy in America. Usually you make policy because someone has a problem or someone goes to their lawmaker and says, hey, look, this is really bad. I need you mm -hmm. to fix this. Franchisors do not want this. Franchisees do not want this. And I can guarantee you, no employee ever went to the federal government and said, I got one boss and what I'd really like to have are two bosses. Like <laughs> no one does that. No. So franchisees don't want it. Franchisors don't want it. Employees don't want it. But yet they're doing it anyway. And yeah. it is going to cause a legal nightmare because now the franchisors will have the legal responsibility of people they don't employ, they didn't hire, they don't even know their name. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to be legally responsible for them. Franchisees, meanwhile, now have to engage with the franchisors on their own employees, which they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And so this is going to become, a, in, in short order, a just a legal nightmare. But yeah, then people yeah. say, well, look, if no one wants this, why is it happening? Right. Very simple. There is one group that wants this, and it's labor unions. Why would labor unions want this? Very easy to understand. Right now, whether it's a Starbucks, a McDonald's, or a Marriott, they are required to go store by store by store and unionize that workplace if they want to make it a union workplace. And if they can make their case and convince the employees that they should be in a union, I think it's a bad idea. But if they can do that, in America, they are allowed to do that. Under this proposal, once everyone is jointly employed, they don't have to go store by store by store. Mm -hmm. They can just get every Starbucks at once or every uh, McDonald's at once or every Marriott at once. And so you're in a right to work state like, let's say, Georgia, uh, where you're not required mm -hmm. to, to join a union. Well, guess what? They can come in and unionize every Marriott hotel in the entire system in the United States. And now you're at a union shop. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was a sneaky way to get in. You know, that yeah, what horse. a way to change that system. Oh my gosh, it's cr that's crazy. And I mean, not only did you mention the, the legal nightmare, but I mean, just the waste of time and effort where we don't even have that time, you know? No, no. It, it, look, these businesses are trying to, trying to come out of the worst economic situation they've ever faced, trying to dig out of that. And now this type of nonsense is layered on top of them. And again, Policymakers, whether it's at your local city or in Washington, D.C., should be responding to things for which there is a demand, a necessary demand in the proper role of government. In this particular case, there's no demand. No one wants this. No one is asking for yeah. this other than the unions. 
And if they want to unionize a hotel, there's already a legal remedy to do that. They can go unionize the hotel if that's what they want to do. Yeah. And so this is a solution, a very bad one, looking for a problem that doesn't exist. So so that term joint employer, we heard that a lot in hotels where you're working with a staffing company. A lot of people are using staffing companies to get through right now. Do you think that will affect this model as well? Because a lot of times, hey, we don't want to be a joint employer. You're the staffing company. You have separate contracts, separate employees. Do you think that'll affect that as well? Or is that a completely different? Oh, oh absolutely. The the, the yeah. term is uh, that they're using now, the new term is uncontrolled authority, which means <laughs> by some thread of a business link, you are now jointly employed. And so the, the current law before they change it is you have to have direct control. In other words, if I hire you and I direct you what to do every day, you are my employee. If I didn't hire you and I don't tell you what to do, I don't even know your name, then you're not my employee. It's pretty simple. That's the way it's mm-hmm. always been. This radically changes that and it will impact management companies as well. I think if this ultimately goes through, if we fail in the courts, the big loser, well, everyone's going to be a loser, but why would you be part of a brand? Why wouldn't you just go be part of an independent hotel? And if you're a part of an independent hotel, then, of course, you're not going to probably want to use a management company or anybody else where they can link everybody together and unionize at once, which is the goal that they would do. Wow. This, yeah. Thank you so much for breaking that down. This is yeah, great explanation. Easy yeah, to break definitely. down a hard situation. See, yeah. even Jason believes that, too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, I just want to be mindful of time. Uh, and if you if you have just like a few more minutes, we'll just kind of like wrap this up. We want to lead people on on sort of like a, you know, a future looking um, out future outlook. Um, So for 2024, what should hoteliers uh, be thinking of, be mindful of uh, just all things considered? Uh, Bring those groups back, especially the large groups. Uh, They're out there wanting to come back. We're going to see that. Um, If you have lived off of this two to three year high, especially if you're in some place like Florida, two Mm -hmm. to three year high of the leisure traveler, uh, don't expect growth in that, in that leisure market. You're probably about the best of where you're going to be right now for you know 2023 leisure numbers. Um, so I don't want to be negative because I think the industry is continuing to trend back towards normalcy. Uh, inflation is coming down, but wow, we're, you know, when we hear year over year inflation numbers, remember you're talking about year over year and last year was really high. And so mm-hmm. you always have to keep that in mind. Um, but in general, the reality is as much as you know, you go to the airport and it is a struggle. I was in the Atlanta airport two, three days ago and it was a nightmare, oh. an hour and a half wait in the clear TSA pre-check line. I hour. saw those images. But, um, but it is, look, it honestly is easier to travel than ever before. The world yeah, is yeah. more connected. It is a smaller place. Um, and it's human nature. Like people want to be with other people. Mm-hmm. And so travel is going to continue to grow. Uh, there's no question about it. So we're in a great industry with wonderful people. And remember, at the end of the day, we're making memories. We're not stocking shelves. We're not delivering packages. Those are really important. Like when I go home today, I expect my package to be there. But when I go to a hotel, I expect to get a memory out of that. And being part of this industry is so special because you get to be a part of people's lives when they're at their best. I love that. Yep. Could not could not have said yeah. it better myself, I have to say. Um, my gosh. Ugh. Okay. Got, got the chills, which is a good thing. Um, well, to be mindful of the time, I think we'll just kind of skip to our hospitality quote. We'll just to kind of like wrap things up. Unless you have any other final things that you wanted to make sure uh, you shared with everybody today, Chip. No, I just thank everybody for watching this wonderful show and keep watching it every single yes. week. These yes. folks do a, a great job. 
Yeah. And if you're open to it, we would certainly love to have you on, you know, in the next quarter, whenever there's new updates and things that we want to be able to share with everybody would, I know that everyone tuning in would really uh, take away a lot from that. So, um, well, why don't we just quickly get to our hospitality quote to be mindful of the time. Uh, Steve, do you want to read this? Absolutely. So it says, (laughs) I tell our people all the time that success is never final and it isn't. It's a lot easier sometimes to get to the to the top than it is to stay there. And that's Jay Willard Marriott. I like this quote because again, it's like we always focus to get to the top, but then it's like you have to, it's all about consistency and maintaining it, which is a huge pillar, I think, to hospitality. It, it is. And uh, I went this entire show without any sports references. So I got to get some going out. Come on, come on. Like, you know, we talk about getting to the top and staying there. You think about a John Wooden uh, in current days, um, a Nick Saban. Uh, folks that do everything in an impossible and in an incredibly competitive space to get to the top mm-hmm. and then maintain that, that's that's pretty special. You don't see it too often. You don't. I love this. Oh, good. I'm glad that we were able to weave in some sports references. <laughs> <laughs> no, Next time we'll do more. <laughs> Next time, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, again, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Uh, I know that we could have easily talked for for quite a bit longer, but want to be sure to give everybody a little bit of the snapshot as far as what's going on. And, you know, we can always talk more on the on the next um, on another show. So uh, thank you again so much. Um, and by the way, yeah. No, I just thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. So, um, you know, with that, I think that'll be the wrap of our show, Steve. Yeah, I just say for everyone, thanks for joining us today. And make sure if you like this episode to subscribe, share it with your friends so we can get the word out some more. And as always, we'll see you next week. We will. Oh, and if you...